2020 was the year that I began to realize that the gospel-centered movement that I was a part of was infected. Tumors had formed in the movement. They had taken root. They had unfortunately been festering for years before the symptoms became obvious. Now, the gospel-centered movement began with the best of intentions, no doubt about it. It was a coordinated effort across denominations to get the gospel of Jesus Christ back at the center of our preaching and our churches. Many lifelong church members came to understand the gospel and fall in love with their Savior for the first time because of this movement. See, the evangelical church in America had fallen into the ditch of legalism, and the gospel-centered movement led by such men as Matt Chandler, David Platt, J.D. Greer, Tim Keller, and John Piper was an attempt at course correction. Now, this course correction did bear some good fruit, to mix metaphors. And I want to be clear here. I, along with many others, matured in the faith and came to a greater love for Christ under the teaching and influence of these men in this movement. But now, in the year of our Lord, 2023, it has become clear that while John Piper has tried his darndest to keep that big EVA TGC semi on the road, his passengers had other plans. Unfortunately, the gospel-centered movement ended up taking a hard left in 2020 and ended up in the opposite ditch. And now, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see that the movement had actually been veering leftward long before 2020. The tumors had been left largely unexamined, festering for years before the symptoms became obvious. And then, in 2020, the Evangelical Church received her CAT scan results. On today's episode of the Reformation Red Pill Podcast, we will be examining the four tumors that have led to the slow death of the gospel-centered movement. These four tumors include functional antinomianism, functional Gnosticism, cultural Marxism, and toxic winsomeness. Now, please note that as we identify these tumors and speak of the death of the gospel-centered movement, we are not speaking of the death of the body of Christ. Movements come and go all throughout church history. And the beauty of the gospel is that whatever was good and true and beautiful about the gospel-centered movement that is now dying is certain to live again. And how do we know this? Because we serve a God who raises the dead. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Reformation Red Pill podcast, where we, for your benefit, dear viewer, and hopefully for your edification, uh, we're going to be outlining our journey from light roast Calvinism to dark roast Reformed, from squishy, evangelical, winsome, <laughs> to solid, robust, historic Reformed evangelicalism. So... Uh, for those of you who are not raised in the Reformed faith, uh, the Reformation red pill journey begins with uh, recognizing that there's a problem. There's something going on. There's something wrong. My theology seems to be inconsistent with what I'm finding in the Word of God, uh, or my church or my ministry is bearing some rotten fruit. There's something off. There's something wrong. Uh, and Pastor Brooks and our guest today is... Uh, we've, we've all come from the Young Restless Reformed slash gospel-centered movement. Uh, and I think there's a lot of people today who have begun to sense, who have begun to mm -hmm. smell some rotten fruit. <laughs> so today we're going to outline what we've seen as uh, some of the systemic problems that we've seen within the gospel-centered movement. All right, So we're going to be examining what went wrong um, and what are the reasons that uh, the movement began to produce some rotten fruit. Yeah. But before we jump into the episode... We have a special guest today. That's right. All right. Uh, so last week, Pastor Brooks and I outlined our journey from uh, light roast Calvinism into dark roast Reformed. 
Um, but today I'll pass it over to Pastor yeah. Brooks, and he can introduce our very special guest. Yeah, yeah, well, it is a joy. This is um, another elder at Pilgrim Hill, one Robert Murphy, um, teacher extraordinaire and just all-around wonderful guy. So thankful uh, to, to have you today, um, Robert. Yeah, and if you want to just go ahead and kind of introduce yourself a little bit, give a little bit of... Uh, why are you uh, so... Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> Who knows? God has a great sense of humor would probably be the shortest answer to that. Um, I did not grow up uh, Christian. I was saved in uh, long ago at age 15, and um, I just have been reading my way ever since then, read my way into uh, the first stages of being Reformed, and uh, went to Covenant Seminary from 2011 to 2015, and uh, just have been on a God has been just drawing me to himself, mm. making his word more uh, impactful and, and clear to me over that time, and it's it's just been a fantastic journey, and getting to serve with uh, Brooks and you is currently mm. where I'm at, and, and, and get the chance to just love God's people more and, and better mm. uh, by being more and more in conformity to his word. Yeah. Man, I am pumped that we're all three doing this. That's good. Yeah. This is good. This is good. So uh, before we begin uh, this episode, um, before we get into kind of deconstructing the gospel-centered movement, mm -hmm. I want us to steel man the view that we're opposing, right? I want us to, before we deconstruct, I want us to lay out, first of all, what is the gospel-centered movement? And how did God use it for good for his people yeah. and for his church? So I'll pass it over to you guys. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I would say the... The gospel-centered movement is um, a recovery of getting Jesus back at the at the center of mm. our of our faith, and um, which is where he belongs. I mean, this is um, so, so much good ha has come from this, and I I um I thank God for for the movement in so many ways. It's it's how the Lord grabbed me by the collar and mm. and um, got me um, back um, really in line and, and on the path and on the ancient path and. In some ways, um, so I think something that is absolutely central um, to what the gospel center movement, how it works, is um, it's a certain hermeneutic for when you come to the scriptures. You understand, like Jesus said in, in Luke 24, all scripture is ultimately pointing to Christ, and to, to that we would say yes and amen. Now there are some issues with how that hermeneutic is applied, which perhaps we'll, we'll get to in mm. some ways, which is how it got perhaps into a ditch um, in in some regards, but um, at the center of it, it's, it's putting Jesus back at the center, and um, one of the good fruits of that was the the unifying impact that it had across denominations, which I know you've, yeah. you've seen no, as well. No, that was definitely the big uh, thing for me, was to see like how much God was clearly moving across yeah. to bring uh, Baptists and Presbyterians, and if you remember, like Sovereign Grace Ministries and these different... Uh, denominations that were really coming together about Jesus and redemption and the Bible being yeah. centered in a, in a really good way to draw people back to God, drawing people back to himself and to his word, yeah. and being able to worship together at these conferences like T4G and things, yeah. that that was, that was a really good fruit mm -hmm. of, of what they were doing there and a really good focus especially given Jesus's, you know, last high priestly prayer in mm -hmm. John 17 of like, let them be one as we are one, Father. Yeah. That was that was a really good fruit to see and, and made it be on my radar and like, mm -hmm. oh, what's going on there? I need to check this out. Yeah. yeah, and I was I can remember really my first exposure being through preachers like Paul Washer and David Platt. 
I don't know if Paul Washer's like a spokesperson for the Cosmos. <laughs> I don't think he really is, but that's just about the time frame. When I, I can see him in. glaring at you right yeah, now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. That's definitely true. Why are you clapping? Um, yeah, I'm talking about you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, whenever I was exposed to that, I remember when I was hearing a lot of these guys, whether it was David Platt or Matt Chandler, or something, they were talking about the gospel. I remember it really did hit me that I've never mm-hmm. understood the gospel very well before. Yeah. Like I, I was, I, there's. I think there's a lot of people who grew up in church, who grew up in the Bible Belt culture, yeah. who could never even articulate the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, that, rightfully so, was seen as a huge problem. And I think there was a initially there's a pendulum swing way out into just there really was a problem with legalism, mm-hmm. just this kind of hellfire brimstone preaching that says basically the gospel was you don't want to go to hell, right? Pray the prayer. You know, um, and and now obey the obey the commands mm-hmm. without even actually even addressing the fact that man we are we have churches full of unregenerate unchanged hearts. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. people who don't even understand the gospel. So a good fruit I think was actually huge focus being pressed on what even is this thing that saves you, mm-hmm. and yeah. people being able to articulate it and it actually changing hearts. And that was that was my story. I was benefited greatly from that. Yeah. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I I do think one of the looking back. One of the great issues was with it, which wasn't even its own fault, was that the language of reformed was used a lot, mm. and so people who were really new to the faith thought they were reformed yeah. when yeah. they had no idea what That's they definitely were. Definitely me. Yeah, I, mean, yeah. I, I remember um, being young, restless, and reformed, being the only Christian in Orlando, Florida. Um, so I thought, <laughs> going to Sproul's church, who at that time, Sproul, I mean, he was the, He's the guy. concrete oh, yeah. contractor that was just pouring a foundation for me. Definitely. And then I got there, and I had to confess that I believed in the Catholic church, <laughs> yeah. and I saw them baptize a baby. And I almost fell out of the pew um, <laughs> because, I mean, clearly, how could any Christian do those things? And then yeah. I do a little bit of Googling afterwards and realize... This is what 99% of the church has always <laughs> believed right. up until five minutes ago. Oh, yes. And so that, that was a real aha moment for me of you don't have any idea mm. what you're really talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but a lot of people thought they were reformed when, again, they, they really didn't know that. And, and it really was a great thing to come back to have you been changed? Have yeah. you been, yeah. you know, born again? Jesus yeah. says you'll not see the kingdom unless you are born of the, you know, born mm-hmm. anew, born from above. And that 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 focus was was really important when mm-hmm. people had a kind of in, in the in the wrong sense fundamentalist yeah. of like, you know, don't smoke, don't right. chew, don't go with girls who do. Right. Like if that's your gospel, then you're really really lost. Yeah. And you know, wearing jeans to church will damn you. You know, that that kind of view of of salvation. Yeah. And they were calling people back to, have you been given a new heart? Have you mm. been made into a new man? Have you, you know, had your heart of flesh be circumcised, your stone heart be thrown away and given a new mm. heart? Yeah. That's a great call yeah. on people's lives. Absolutely. Yeah, but I, I think uh, really with 2020 and and the perfect storm of, of the BLM stuff um, and the COVID stuff coming together, it, it was almost like the gospel-centered movement was put up on, on an X-ray machine, mm-hmm. yeah. and there was some blotches that started started to to show in there that that were really concerning. Oh. And so that's really what what this time is about. It's it's not trying to give him 
the gospel centered movement, the people's elbow from the from the top rope. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it is right. trying to semper reformanda. Uh, mm. Let's continue to reform. Let's let's figure out how did this get off track and what does re- continual reformation look like in, in, in light of that. And I I think four specific things um, that that will hit on on this time is it started to expose what we might call a, a functional antinomianism. Mm. Again, we'll we'll get into these. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A functional Gnosticism. Um, a, a bent towards what we might call even toxic winsomeness yeah. um, at the expense of Christian courage yeah. <laughs> and uh, cultural Marxism. Yep. Um, and so that's that's kind of the path for, for this time. And yeah. just like an x-ray is not causing any of these things, they were there, mm-hmm. and right. that this was just now they're coming into focus. Right. That's right. Everyone can see them. Yeah, Vodi Bauckham used that illustration of fault lines in his books, yeah. that it was that there were these in, invisible divides in the evangelical world that people had no idea about. Yeah. But then the pressure cooker of 2020 happens, right. and then it exposes so yeah, expo- the fault lines underneath the surface. And man, I that's what it was for me, was 2020 seeing, oh, whoa, I don't want to be on this team. Yeah. Oh, man, that leader that I was following and have learned so much from is now saying things that, I find to be totally at odds mm-hmm. with what I find in and Scripture. And God's judgment always works this way. Yeah. Second Corinthians 3, you know, the aroma of life to those who are being saved mm. and the aroma of death is that, you know, God's judgment, we come every Lord's day to the Lord's house, mm. and it's his day of judgment. You, know, you, yeah. you read in the Old Testament, same phrase, the day of the Lord, mm-hmm. is that this is God coming in judgment. And so the same thing can be both towards, you know, greater sanctification or greater revealing of, of mm. being mm-hmm. lost. Yeah. Same judgment exposes. Right? Yeah, and and, and, and that's where you know we we often see um, these last three years as years to to be forgotten or as a, a curse upon us, but it's really a, a blessing upon the church. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Hebrews twelve stuff where right. the Lord will shake His church so that what needs can be shaken, what needs to be shaken off, hmm. um, will, and then what stands will be exposed as well, and, this, and the church will be strengthened, um, and evil and wickedness will be exposed for for what it is. I'm not saying. People in the um, gospel-centered movement are evil and wicked. I'm saying the culture at large and the evilness will be fanned into a greater flame. Yep. And the church will be strengthened as well. Right. And, and the the antithesis will become um, more clear. Well, I mean, that's just, and I feel like that's just the history of the church is just right. we're just swinging kind of back and forth. But it, I, we're getting sharper. Right. You know, I mean, yes. we're all we're right. all post mill here. Yeah. We'll get into that. So yeah. we believe that throughout uh, throughout history, the, the ch- and that, honestly, that's been one amazing thing about becoming post-mill is it makes sense of the development of theology throughout right. history. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where it's like, oh yeah, the first how many, four or five hundred years, mm-hmm. they're working out the Trinity. Yeah. The person of Christ. They're working out these essential doctrines. And then it leaves hope for the future to say, hey, actually, no, maybe as the as the global church, as all of God's people, we can come into uh We'll, we'll be narrowing orthodoxy throughout all of history to We're where... maturing. Yeah, maturing. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Maturing. Exactly. It's the same way that God works in, in any of us is that he doesn't show you all your sinfulness at once. That would be just an overwhelming Crush way to die. Yeah. <laughs> and versus like little by little, God is maturing us more and more into the image of his son. Absolutely. So, okay, so we've got these... Uh, I love this illustration where the body of Christ... Uh, develop some tumors in the gospel-centered movement, and we have 2020 as the x-ray that kind of highlighted, that showed us that they were actually there, that we were already there. 2020 vision. Oh, Oh, snap! (laughs) Oh, all right, King, that was good. That was good. We'll fix all of it. (laughs) 
Um, so we're going to march through these four tumors that kind of popped mm-hmm. up or that were revealed rather yeah. in, in yeah. 2020. So the first one being uh, this functional antinomianism. Can we define that for our audience uh, before we go anywhere with it? Let's define what do you mean by functional antinomianism. So namos is just the Greek word for law here. Mm-hmm. And so if you're against the law and you're an antinomian, you, people, this has been a long-term heresy that has existed to say, Jesus came, there is no law, do whatever you want. Right. Mm-hmm. Shall we sin that uh, grace may abound? Right. Yes. Paul had an answer for that from the get-go. By no means. By right, no and means. we're not <laughs> saying that uh, the gospel-centered movement was antinomian. No. Right. Right, that's why we say functional antinomian, because yeah. it began to produce a subtle, almost subconscious antinomianism. You were talking about not- that earlier. Not always, though. I mean, I, it, explicitly, often the law was set at odds That's true. against grace. That's right. true. Um, as if, as if they were um, enemies. Um, and so, how that really started to, to manifest, in especially in the pulpit, um, and, and this is what I believe really started to undermine the authority of Scripture to be brought to bear on, on the people of God, is you start with the text and you talk about what it says, but then how you can't fulfill it, mm-hmm. and yeah. thank goodness Jesus fulfilled it. That was right. every sermon. And, yep. and that really becomes yeah. the template And there's for... nothing to do. Right, there's right, exactly. At any point. Except thank, thank Jesus, and yeah. then trust him to change your heart. Right, but... The, to, yeah. uh, for what? Somehow. Yeah, yeah. Well, as, as Schaefer said, though, then how, how then shall we live? Right. It, That's right. It left so many people really initially thankful because they felt relieved, but then... How do you actually engage the stuff of life? How do you put sin to death? And then when we got these really, we went from JV stuff to varsity stuff with George Floyd and yeah, with yeah. COVID. How do you really apply the word to God, uh, uh, the word of God to that? And I, I think a lot of people were just completely mm. clueless on on what to do because of, of quote unquote gospel centered sermons that weren't really building the body of Christ in biblical knowledge and biblical categories to know how to bring the Bible to bear. And I, I remember a couple of years ago, I, I think it was at a T4G conference that Piper was giving virtually, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and where the, he really, really hit the nail on the head of something I was, I was feeling and even participating in mm-hmm. as, as, as a preacher, but hadn't given language to. And it, it was the, I, I think the sermon title they gave him was how to preach the gospel from all of scripture mm. or or some something like that and and what they were likely wanting him to expound upon is the very thing we're we're talking about mm. and how he essentially said um I have a problem because that's not how I think about preaching at all mm. he says you'll you'll wow. hear everybody say the um, quoting Spurgeon, um, you start with your text and you make a beeline to the cross. And he said, first of all, I can't find a single Spurgeon scholar who has actually cited where Spurgeon <laughs> said that. Mm, wow. And he said, and that's not what preaching is. Mm. You stay in the text. Yeah. Um, you don't let Jesus get you off the hook from your responsibility. You recognize you've been empowered by the Spirit of Jesus to do what the text says yeah. now. Yeah. And um, and I thought he re- really articulated... I think he he recognized that he's kind of a grandpa in that world and yeah. saw the pendulum swinging this mm. way and was trying to shove it shove it back yep. into a, a helpful place. And to toot your horn here, which uh, I'll, I'll gladly do for you, you had a wonderful, wonderful sermon recently about mm. getting out of the law of God what God wants us to get from, right. from mm-hmm. his word is that 
you know, the, the epitome, when somebody says the law and you think about somewhere on a judge's wall in the South, there's the Ten Commandments hanging mm -hmm. on the wall. How does it begin? Mm -hmm. You know, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, right. out of the house of slavery. This is for the redeemed people. That's right. We're not, you know, just going to like escape the law. It's just there to condemn you. And now we're done and it's the, it has no more purpose. It's mm -hmm. just all about grace and anti-law right. is that this is something for the people of God. Because it's good. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we can say with the psalmist, oh, how I love, love your law. Right. Yeah. Right? And I, what I realized too, and as I got deeper and deeper down the reformed rabbit hole, and I realized the language for this, it was in that sermon that I just preached, was there's actually multiple uses of the law throughout mm -hmm. scripture. Yeah. And whenever I discovered that, that was a huge moment for me, like an aha moment where it's like, the gospel-centered movement takes only the first use of the law. Right. They take the law as a mirror, yeah. the law that shows you your sinfulness, shows you that you mm -hmm. can't live up to the standard of Christ, mm -hmm. and but thanks be to God that he did it for you. Right. And we celebrate, and yes and amen. And that is its first use. If that, you are right. not saved, nothing else matters right. other than you recognizing that you fall so so short and you need a savior. Exactly. So, and yeah. I mean, and so that's I mean, that's essential, but it makes sense that that would be the gospel-centered movement, because it just focuses on the atoning work of Christ mm -hmm. and the work of Christ that he's done it for you. But then there's two more uses of the law yeah. that are evident throughout Scripture. The second right. one being that it's a, a shield, right? We have a mirror, a shield, and a compass, a shield that protects the wicked from the righteous. Or I'm sorry, <laughs> the righteous from the wicked. Yeah, yeah. get that right. Yeah. Um, so it protects the righteous from the wicked. So any, any state or civil you know, polity that adopts the law of God, that utilizes the law of God, yeah. will be blessed, right? right? They the the innocent will be protected. Yeah. It, God's law brings about blessing. Most mm -hmm. people know thou shalt not murder. And I've been getting in like <laughs> yeah. Twitter spats with people who are saying uh that the that the law of God does not bring about blessing. And I, I just can't wow. understand uh, I can't understand that. that. Yeah. It's, um it's, it's bizarre. You know, because it I mean, I take even the Jewish people as an example. Yeah. Like why are they so productive? Why do they rise to the heights of every single you know, discipline, discipline yeah. that they that they go to. They are a culture that has been steeped in the Old Testament law of God for nigh on Millennia, two, three, yeah. four, five thousand mm -hmm. years now, and they're shaped by it. Now they don't get the blessing of eternal life in Christ, mm -hmm. but there is absolutely blessed if you just follow Proverbs. Right. You will be blessed. And that was one thing that happened in, in particular. It's funny you mentioned Proverbs because that was something when I was in seminary being taught to preach according to this rubric, according mm. to this style, is that people would then just ask the homiletics professor, so how do you preach a sermon from Proverbs? And he just, like, next question. Just like, like, like we it's, cannot, it's there's, yeah. there's not it's a true. way. And, and, and that's the reason I would imagine a lot of people who, who are watching, mm. that's watching this, that that's the reason where they've been pled with to convert for a decade, yes. <laughs> um, uh, a thousand yeah. times, yeah. Um, because we've seen the Lord's Day service as primarily evangelistic mm. to the people of God, mm. rather than primarily the space where the people of God are, are matured and glorified and consecrated even more, um, grown up more, more and more, and they're, they're now so... so hungry for the application and the yeah. meat and potatoes of, of the Word of God. It's the very thing Paul um, wanted the Corinthians to be able to digest. When I first came to you, I, I decided I'd preach nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Um, yes and amen. Of, of course, that is the foundation of everything. And then from there, you, you mature up 
up into that, and he says, but you are unspiritual people. Right. That's right. <laughs> um, no I, meat for you. The, no, yeah. no meat. Yeah, that's you, right. You, you, can't, you, you can't handle that yet. And, and perhaps one pushback <clears throat> would be, well, then you're, you're not going to ever preach the gospel, Christ and him crucified. No, I mean, that's, that's woven through everything, but that's one of the benefits I've seen in covenant renewal worship yeah. is what's right after the sermon, communion. Mm. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, which is nothing but the gospel on vivid display mm. of we just come empty-handed to receive by grace the body and blood mm-hmm. of our crucified yep. Messiah. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so you don't feel like you have to have this great... Um, "Quote unquote gospel firework finale at the end of every sermon, yeah. because we are about to go to the table, which right. is the gospel. Christ giving him himself to to us again mm. and feeding us again, and, and we we bring nothing to that. We just receive by grace. So. I remember when I was because I I was really wrestling through even this preaching methodology when I planted a church out in Los Angeles and thinking through like the, exactly that gospel firework. I want Tim Keller was my rubric." Right, yes. I read his preaching book, and I was like, yes, we need to do the, you can't do it, here's the gospel at the end kind of thing. But then I remember I started watching sermons out of Moscow, like uh, Toby Sumter, Doug Wilson, and all mm. the rest of these guys. And it was, the, 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 we, they wouldn't have a necessarily this gospel, sometimes there would be, but mm-hmm. there wouldn't this ne- necessarily this gospel firework at the end. But then I saw this, like, when they would transition into the communion time, mm-hmm. sometimes there would just, it would just be this, that's where it was. It was like the yeah. beautiful, yeah. fiery, firework gospel there, right. right there, just to say, in case in case it wasn't clear, right. this yeah. is where we get the power to yes. obey all that. Of course. Right. You know exactly. what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And I thought, man, that just resonated so deeply. It, it kind of released me from, because, you know, when you're when you feel the pressure to take a text and make that beeline to Christ, you you have to be. It's an art, you know. Like Tim Keller was yeah. like an artist. He was so good know? at it. What yeah. I'm saying, and, yeah. and I definitely I've got some issues with some of the methodology and things like that now. But I think like the way he was able to do it, that's like everyone can't do that. Like mm-hmm. everyone's not that smart. <laughs> I'm right. not that smart. Right. You know. And, and sometimes Jesus doesn't mean to leave you off the hook there. Yeah. He wants yeah. you now right. to to live up into that. That's good. And and that's again going back to that that Piper sermon. That's something he said. He said, "Yes, it is possible to use Jesus to undermine Jesus." Yeah. Man. Like Jesus told you to be hospitable. The point of that isn't, well, you really can't be hospitable. Thank goodness I was. It's like, "No, I'm telling my body, you can do this." Yeah. Now. Well, you can Who was um, Billy that. Graham's uh, grandson? I can never pronounce it. No, 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 no. Oh, Chivision. No, no, Ch- Ch- yeah, yeah, I totally in Chivision. There that we guy. go. Thank yeah. you. I will what have a, a mouth seizure if I try to. Do that. <laughs> but that there was some tweet where he was like, you know, woke up in my lawn having passed out drunk with like having smoked three packs of cigarettes last night and drunk two fifths of vodka and just, and like, but thank God for grace. Yeah. Like woke up in his lawn, just like absolutely hung Man. over high, everything. Yeah. And, and like, there was no ability to say Christ is disappointed in you. Right. That is, and that's a key thing right there. Is the third wait? I mentioned the first two uses of yeah. the law, but the third use of the law that there was just an allergic reaction to, right. which is the law of God is meant to be a lamp unto your feet. It's meant to be a compass that guides you in your sanctification. And you're like we've been saying, you're actually meant to obey these commands. Right. Turns out when Jesus said to do this, right. he meant you to do it. Yeah. Right. And, you know? and I, I think. One of the ways that we really got off track was sounding the legalism abo- um, oh, alarm anytime yeah. a, a real emphasis on obedience was was mm. was put there. And, and what a lot of people I think don't don't understand. Yes, you can be legalistic in a sense about obeying Scripture. 
perhaps where, where you really think you are, you're comparing yourself to others, mm -hmm. and that really is where you're finding your righteousness. But the, the legalism of the Pharisees was uh, often about the extra laws that they put around the laws. Fences. And yeah. that was the, the burden of legalism, was mm. the laws upon laws upon laws that weren't really yeah, God's law. And this, this is exactly then, you're, you're, you're bleeding straight into the second point here, is that there then was those kind of fences, those mm. kind of extra thing, is that if we're not going to emphasize obedience in how you live, then there is this kind of like, you need to feel a certain way. You need to have a certain kind of like, yeah. I'm just taking the sanctification or the, the, the justification in well enough yeah. that there's some internal criteria that was actually put forward then as real salvation, real, mm -hmm. the, 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 the extra bit of knowledge, the extra bit of insight that mm -hmm. you were supposed to have was something purely internal. Mm -hmm. Right. That was then the marker for are you saved? Yeah, and you're, here you're talking about functional Gnosticism. Yeah, that's yeah, getting right, into right. that functional. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, right. even well, and we'll get there in just a second. I was thinking when you were describing Shemajimid need to, to well, what's his name? <laughs> Tolian Chavijian. Tolian Chavijian. We're not from Florida. Chavijian. We'll never learn. Yeah, yeah that guy. Um, what would a healthy church do with that? Mm -hmm. What they eventually him, did with him was defrock him. Is that like, yeah, mm -hmm. that, that. A hell, I mean, the idea, like church discipline, like right, they, actually shame on you. Yeah, right, like right. shame on you. Yeah, that's not good, Paul. Like I remember having legalism, a, legalism. Well, that's the idea, right? Yeah. So I remember having a conversation with somebody, and we were talking about how we were talking about shame, and they said. God never wants you to feel shame. The gospel means you never feel shame. And I remember, that's whenever the, the term that I've been using is a damnable gospel philosophy. Because you've now philosophized, you've, you've, you've come up with, you know, uh, uh, propositions that are not actually biblical. Because they said that to me, and then I remember, and I told this woman, I said, well, actually, um, Paul shames the Corinthians. Right. I say this to your shame. Like yeah. multiple times, yeah. right. actually. Yeah. You know, on, on multiple occasions, he shames them. I say this to your shame. Exactly. Jesus, woe to you, hypocrites. Yes. Pharisees. And it, but, you know, so, but then should they just not feel shame? What is it? No, the gospel doesn't free you from shame. It tells you what to do with it. Or yeah. it doesn't mean that you will never have shame or that you should never have shame. Yeah. If you're getting, if you are claiming the name of Christ and you are falling drunk on your lawn and passing out, Shame is the appropriate response. Right. Yeah. Right. But the gospel is. I mean, there is a thanks be to God there. But if 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 you repent, repent. <laughs> yes, and, right, and, repent. and really get people around you to to to, to help. Right. But and if, what does if, repent mean? It means turn away. Yeah. yeah. If you are just continuing in your sin, you're not repenting. Yeah. I mean, that's what First John says. It says if well, the person who continues well, the in first their words sin, out of Jesus's mouth, repent for the kingdom of God. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, this. Let we, let's move on because we we already uh, you already brought it up. I functional Gnosticism. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, the functional Gnosticism. So we kind of covered this fun functional antinomianism, the anti-law, um, and now let's get into what this this idea. What is functional Gnosticism? How would you guys define that? So this this idea that the movement beforehand was called Pietism, mm. and it was the idea that you know me and Jesus, my quiet time spending an hour a day in your prayer closet having your QT, mm. uh, that the way that you felt inside uh, was the gospel. Yep. That that was that there was a special place that you arrived at internally. Mm. That then you have now you're getting it. Now you're doing it right. right. That is. It. So you're a Bible slash history nerd. Give us what is why do we call it functional Gnosticism? Where does that idea, where does that word come from? 
So the, the Gnostics were, I mean, it's already there. You mentioned First John a second ago, is that already in the first century, people had all of these ideas about there was some secret esoteric knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like Mormons to this day, like they have a secret handshake and a secret phrase that mm -hmm. will get you into heaven. Right. And so that, it's just the Greek word for knowledge. Mm -hmm. It's actually like our word K-N-O-W is the same as G-N. Right. Is that that same idea that there's just a secret passcode, there's a special extra bit of know-how or right. knowledge that is in. So and, and and it's a and it's a focus on the spiritual and the material in and, and the Gnostic heresy, material equals bad. Well even there I would push back against the use of the, it's the ethereal is that yeah. spiritual means having to do with the Holy Spirit. That's that's good. And that they're the not, ethereal is good. Yeah, the yeah. material is bad. Right. Right? right. Um distancing right. yourself from everything. Yeah and and and, and this I mean I I think Part of this manifested in a real skepticism around really enjoying the good things of of creation. Yeah. I mean, I I think of and, and here I, I I will need to point to Piper in, in a a way that I th I think his his philosophy leads us astray. And I, I am so wary <laughs> of um, of saying anything disagreeable to, to, to Piper. I, I I think of the um, after who was it after Wesley died? Um, no, after Whitfield died. Somebody asked John Wesley, will you see Whitfield in heaven? And he said, uh, no, because he'll be so much closer to the throne than I will be. And that's, that's, that's <laughs> oh yeah. obviously a piper. But this idea of Christian hedonism, mm. where Jesus has to be your supreme mm. treasure and your supreme joy, and if not, you really are in big trouble. Um, and I, one of the ways I started to articulate it is it, it's almost like I was asked to build bricks of joy with no straw, mm. Mm. Um, where the way that I, I treasure Jesus is to try really hard to be treasuring Jesus, when in reality, um, one of the ways that, that we enjoy God is through the gifts of creation. We, we, we are created physical beings, mm -hmm. yeah. and um, good, good meals with good friends and good laughter and um, blessings, even physical yeah. blessings. Um, for good labor and for being generous, and um, those are not to be looked at side-eyed and and primarily guiltily. Um, yeah. Guiltily, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, be, right. they're to be received with gratitude, and and eschatology ties into so much of this because I mean, he talked often about having a warlike mentality. I mean, it, it really was that that vision of bare bones mm. um, because I, I won't go into that. That'll be a, a, a different <laughs> episode, um, but. Yeah, and so I, I think a lot of people really wanted to treasure Christ, but it ended up being this real internal trying really hard mm -hmm. mentally to um, meditate on the gospel and then to, to love Jesus, which, <laughs> of course, all of that. Right. But Jesus also blesses his, his body through tangible means as well, and, and that is also how you treasure and enjoy Christ is by receiving like Chesterton, receiving all things constantly mm. with gratitude and thanksgiving. And it's a kind God. of like almost monastic kind mm. of thing of just like you need to be pulled out of the world when God says, you know, how can you claim to love God who you haven't seen when you don't love your neighbor? Like the primary ways that we work out our, you know, sanctification and, and enjoy our justification is with our neighbor, is mm -hmm. with our churchmates, is with our family, with yeah. the people that God is putting in your life, mm -hmm. is that you don't close your eyes and hide in your prayer closet. You pray, and mm -hmm. then you get up and you serve, and yeah, you, right. you do, you enjoy the good things that God has given you and love your neighbor as yourself. It's all meant to be, as you said, we're embodied people who are supposed to be living this out. Right. And, and, and also, 
the the creation dominion mandate is is still viable. Yeah. <laughs> um, and part of that means Christian cultures should be defined by excellent, good, solid work. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's physical stuff. And so what what's the where's the motivation to to be the best craftsman at what you do mm. while also not feeling like you should being scared that at every moment you're going to idolatry um, make everything an idol yeah, yeah, that's yeah. physical that you enjoy yeah yeah it's like I, I don't i don't believe the lord intends us to to, to live like that right the, the uh the most helpful and I'm, I'm still parsing out how to talk about this i've i've learned a lot from dr joe boot on this but uh the helpful category that kind of blew my mind with regard to all of this was understanding that biblically speaking there is a distinction between the kingdom and the church uh, and they're, they, they over, there's like overlap, but they are distinct categories, biblically speaking. And, but a lot of the gospel-centered movement, col- I think, collapsed those into the same thing. And so uh, the, everything, the church needed to have its hands in everything. Because the church and the king, the kingdom is at hand, right? The kingdom is growing, it's advancing, it's you know the mustard seed that's growing. Yeah. So if but if the church and the kingdom are the same thing, then the church has to be in everything. The church needs to be doing this. The church needs to be mm-hmm. in this uh, almost like parachurch ministries. You mean parachurch ministries, or, or even mm-hmm. like uh, I mean, I think that's why there was an aversion to politics because we're like, well, do we don't need the church in politics and uh-huh. that kind of thing? But when you when you understand that there's a distinction, you realize that the church is given. The keys of the kingdom. It's mm-hmm. given the sacraments. It's given the word to proclaim the sacraments and church discipline. Yeah. When you realize it has a role to play in advancing the kingdom, like mm-hmm. it's it's training the saints up for the work of ministry. Right. But then what they do then is they go out Sunday on the Lord's Day. We get trained, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And we gather as God's people, as the ecclesia, as the mm-hmm. called out people, and that's the church where the sacraments are administered, mm-hmm. the word is proclaimed, um, and then we are sent out. To advance the kingdom, the kingdom, yeah. And what? And because I didn't have those categories, secretly, I and not, I say secretly, I would have never said this, but I thought, really, if you really love Christ, you're going to be a missionary, yeah. You're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a, uh, some kind of vocational minister. The real holy stuff, really. And but I knew it wasn't right. I knew that wasn't right, but mm-hmm. I couldn't help shaking that feeling because yeah. I'd collapsed those yeah. things: the yeah. kingdom and the church. And we need to be all about the kingdom. But how can I be all about the kingdom mm-hmm. if I'm not all about the church? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, led, led me down the work of, right. you know, becoming a pastor and all the rest. But whenever you see those as distinct categories, then it becomes, well, what is the legislator who's a Christian? Okay, he is, a, he is building the kingdom as he legislates Christianly, mm-hmm. yeah. but he has nothing to do with the church other than he goes to church on mm-hmm. Sunday. Yeah. He gets, you know, he gets... Uh, he is under the eldership and the leadership of biblically qualified elders. He can be under church discipline, but the church he isn't getting all up in politics. There, he's just a Christian advancing the kingdom in politics. Right. And so having that distinction helped me. It seems so obvious now when I say it, like yeah, they're different, but that collapsing into mm-hmm. each other, yeah. I think has some detrimental effects. Like Roe v. Wade getting overturned, that is a kingdom advancement. Mm-hmm. Church didn't grow. You know what I mean? Right. It, but there's a there's a distinction. So. Um, how that relates to the functional Gnosticism in that whenever the... Uh, that's the material world. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, and it's good. And it's good, yeah. and we have a role to play, and, you know, the kingdom needs plumbers. Yeah. Right? And you mm-hmm. can be, a, like you were saying, you can be a plumber 
for the glory of God and advance his kingdom by doing excellent work Absolutely. and building a culture of excellence yeah, and, and all and, that. Yeah, and again, th- this has a, a wonderful Reformed heritage of the mm-hmm. elevation of vocation. Yes. Right. Luther yes. said um, somewhere, you, you don't be a, a Christian cobbler by stamping a cross on every shoe, you'd be a Christian cobbler by making the best shoes in town. Who um, was it? There was a whole controversy. I heard someone talking about how... Uh, I don't remember who started it, but saying, uh, oh, you know, you're saying there's a Christian way to make an omelet. And they were like mocking the idea that there's a Christian way to make an omelet. And I remember when I first heard someone kind of mocking that, I was like, are you kidding me? Yes, there's a Christian way to make an omelet. It's called the right way. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> you make With the cheese and, and ham. And, and no, yeah. No, but there's, of course, we giving thanks to God in all things, whether you yeah. eat or drink or yes. whatever you do, you're doing it. And making it as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Lord. That's the Christian way because a pagan isn't doing that. Yeah. Right. That's the Christian way to make an omelet. There ab- there's a Christian way to do everything. Yeah. Right? And that exactly. doesn't mean the church has its tendrils in every single thing. Because the world was made good is that mm. every other worldview says, you know, the world was made with some just junk built in. Mm. That mm. there's, you know, there was death before the fall, that all these things, the brokenness, that's just <clears throat> part of the world and you just kind of have to deal with it. And so then Gnosticism says, well, let's withdraw and just live up here mm-hmm. or in here somehow mm-hmm. like that. As opposed to, no, it was good, it was good, it yeah. was good, it was good, it is very good, is what we read on page right. one of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And it will be again. And grace perfects that nature, right? Right, yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. that they will be even better and that, you know, Jesus ate fish yeah. with the disciples oh, after, after, yeah, after, after the, the resurrection yeah. and that we will get to put our fingers in his, you know, cross-shaped yeah. uh, holes that were made in him is that it is being embodied is good. God mm-hmm. made us this way on purpose. Yeah. And that the, there is good work for us to do, not just inside. We do need mm-hmm. to have, you know, hearts that are renewed, mm-hmm. but that the world is, you know, redeemable and mm-hmm. will be made right and that there is now a mix. It's not all bad and we just try to like live in our heads mm-hmm. far away from everything. Right. That's not right. I mean, and we were right that this gets so much into even the our eschatological view. Yeah. We can't yeah. even we can't, right. it's hard to get around no, that yeah. the idea that we actually do believe that this gospel seed that was planted, this leaven that was the kingdom planted by Christ, right? This leaven actually does leaven the whole loaf. And yeah. that means plumbers and politicians. That yes. means every aspect of life. What's the Kuiper quote? There's not one square inch yeah. that he won't say mine. Mine. Right. Yeah. Yes. And if he you reigns. actually believe that, yeah. then it motivates you to actually be a Christian all the time, everywhere, in every way. Yeah. You know? Um, well, do we want to touch on anything else in the functional Gnosticism? Hmm. Sounds good to me here. I think we, I think we mainly, yeah, the, the idea of, of trying to build, I really liked what you said, uh, Pastor Brooks, about the, like, trying to build bricks without the straw yeah. there, is that, like, don't do anything, just feel. Mm-hmm. Right. I definitely remember that pressure on me about yeah. this is holiness. I wish I could remember, there's a, there's a great quote from old Dougie Dubs, where he talks about, uh, you know, being accused of trying to sneak beer and bratwurst into the <laughs> into this Christian hedonism, you know. Mm. It, oh yeah, that's cigars. Right. It's cigars. Yes, yeah, the, yeah, you know, and the idea that we're actually supposed to enjoy. We're not. I read David Platt's Radical, and then I was like, oh, we shouldn't. I got to sell everything. I can't have any nice things. I can't, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm not Don't saying there's never life. any yeah. place for you know that kind of mm-hmm. radical living, but you know, I think, and it's mm-hmm. funny because I remember Tony Marita had like the next year came out with uh what was it ordinary there was like radical and then mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. anyway um but yeah let's move on to uh the third tumor that we uh <laughs> that the uh x-ray showed us in 2020 
And some people saw it a lot earlier. Some people, uh, we had some doctors in the church who were, <laughs> who were uh, showing, they were, they were talking about the symptoms long before 2020. But for us normies who, uh, who came late, uh, toxic winsomeness. Yeah. Toxic winsomeness. So what do we mean when we say toxic winsomeness? I think the, the idea that you're never going to put a stumbling block in front of anybody mm-hmm. is that at any point, anything you say that could offend people, uh, the first time I remember encountering it was taking a counseling class and them talking about, you know, don't quote scripture. Mm. Is that, you know, at the first time, maybe they, they were saying something like, you know, don't be too quick to pull the God works mm-hmm. all things for good for those. You know, sure. Don't be too quick with that. And that was probably some good advice. But it kept going to mm-hmm. being... You know, don't quote scripture at all in a lot of different different situations with people. That'll just be a stumbling block to them, and that that need to never offend. Right, and, and if anybody was offended at any time, it was probably because you didn't say it nice enough. Yeah, um, yeah. And I I remember um, uh, preaching a sermon. This was back when I was in um, uh, California, and so you you constantly felt the the, the feministic pressure of, I mean, we were like three minutes from Fuller, and it was, yeah. um, but I, I preached it, it was Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I talked about that abortion was sin, yeah. um, and, um, but Jesus forgives sins, and how um, a, a feminist came up to me afterwards, just very, very disturbed by, by, by my sermon, and, and she said, Brooks, don't you realize that there are women here who have had abortions? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so for her, even the fact that this could have actually been applicable to anybody. Um, was disturbing. W- right. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting is there was a gal crying in the back, and I went to talk to her, and it was someone who had had an abortion and who had never thought about how Jesus, had never put the gospel to that, that wow. yes, Jesus mm. even forgives wow. that. Yeah. Um, and so Irony. in theory, that they were offended on behalf of everybody who had ever had an abortion because they didn't think God, if it made somebody uncomfortable, that was the problem, not the fact that grace could enter that place. Right, yeah. Um, and yet, in real time, it, it was such a stark contrast because this guy was weeping with joy mm. for the um, forgiveness that, that, that she has in Christ. This is one that just, like, telegraphs to just a few years later about how much that would be used then in our culture all around us here mm-hmm. of if anybody is, you know, lo- you know, on the lower side of the intersectionality oppression Olympics here is that you've you've offended someone, you've gone against what you know they want to hear, you must be in the wrong because mm-hmm. you've said what they didn't want to hear. Right. Yep. You can't criti- criticize another culture. Right, and, and, and the danger here, or, or the real problem, um, is not that it's like annoying to try to be too nice. It's you are constantly giving up an inch of the, uh, on the authority of God yeah, until right. you're being pushed into this corner when real egregious things come, yep. like all the stuff we're seeing around us now, you won't speak out about anything now. Yeah. Yeah. Because for years, you've been given an inch at a time. I'm trying to not offend anybody mm-hmm. at yeah. all. Um, and I think it was come by honestly. You know, like I think a lot of people, a lot of pastors, they who would be considered winsome, the idea is being winsome to win some, right? Yeah. You know, it's we really want to reach people with the gospel. Uh, we don't want to be needlessly offensive. Yeah. Um, Contrast and, it with the Westboro Baptist. That's exactly right. That's yeah. the sure. contrast. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, and uh, and so I think a lot of a lot of leaders came by it honestly, mm-hmm. but what it really developed into was like an allergic reaction to saying anything with sharp edges. Mm-hmm. I remember distinctly. That Vody Bauckham sermon that just just destroyed me because I where he said uh, he yeah he was talking about um, he was talking about homosexuality and he was saying how preachers will come at this topic 
and they'll spend 15 minutes just qualifying and nuancing into oblivion and saying, I've got gay friends and I, you know, and I don't want anyone to feel unloved and da 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 da. And then finally they get to, and it's a sin against God. But, but we want you to know you're welcome. And then the next 15 minutes after that, it's apologizing. apologizing. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly. I remember hearing that and I was never, that, like, that's hype, that's a hyper. Hyperbolic a little bit. I was never. I mean, that's actually not. There was not actually really. people really. <laughs> yeah, like, we no. both just went. For me, like, I was being winsome right now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was never that bad. Okay, but I did have that instinctual gut reaction mm-hmm. to uh, yeah. to cater Absolutely. to, and we'll get to the cultural Marxism part. But to cater to oppressed minorities or whatever, like you know, I had this 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 gut instinct to yeah. do that. And that you, they can't handle the word of God. That they can't handle the word um, of God. Yeah, and, and right. you have to coddle them. And, right. Yeah, and then which he, is actually very offensive. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And he said, uh, and, and and he said, we don't. Can you imagine doing this with any other sins? And he was like, you know, I have adulterers who are friends, so I, I can talk about this. And we love adulterers in this church. If you're an adulterer, you're welcome yeah. here. Yeah. And it's like, wait, hold on, what? Yeah. But re- you know? really, um, underneath all of it is the fear of man. That's right. And yeah. the, the Bible says that the fear of man is a snare. And so that that's the snare. You're stuck. Yes. Where you, out of out of fear of man, not not of the Lord, you are constantly self-editing and constantly trying to sand down every edge of every word where you ultimately just sap the authority of the word of God in your congregation. That's exactly right. And if you're a gospel-centered church planter, your paycheck is dependent upon people not leaving, getting yeah, offended and yeah. leaving your church. That's right. frankly, that's that's the truth. Because I remember whenever I heard that sermon and I was coming to these convictions, and I said, okay, you know, coming up next was a passage that was all about marriage mm. and all about man and woman. And I was like, okay, I'm just I'm not gonna beat around the bush. I'm gonna say what the text says yeah. and I'm not gonna <laughs> apologize. And at this point, I'm preaching outside in Venice Beach, Los Angeles. Oh, wow. And uh I've got the COVID, right? You're yeah, outside. yeah. That we were outside because of COVID, <laughs> and uh, I've got this congregation of people who joined a winsome gospel-centered church, and we're going through these. This we've taken this Reformation red pill. We're going through these changes, and I remember I preached a sermon talking about uh, homosexuality and transgenderism and all this kind of stuff, and I had tearful leaving of the service, mm-hmm. yeah. and then and conversations afterward, and I remember so distinctly the conversation, and I don't hold any ill will towards anyone who left our church over because we had several people leave over this but they they didn't sign up for right. for that right mm-hmm. um so i don't have any ill will but i remember our conversation and and this this lady she said i don't know why would you preach about homosexuality or transgenderism no one in our church struggles with that um and i and i told her no but tons of people in our church are tempted to not stand up for the truth yeah. if your own pastor isn't willing to stand up and say a difficult culturally hot to- address the cultural hot mm-hmm. topics yeah. and say what the word of god says you're discipling your people to be cowards yeah. Yeah. and they, and they have more to lose right it's more difficult they're not, they they could lose their jobs right. right you know and 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 what what we have to understand uh, at the root of this is the aim of our charge is love yes yeah. and love tells the truth it if, yeah. it feels loving to be ultra empathetic when some mm. all the time to make sure i don't offend but that's not loving because that's not ultimately helpful yeah that's not ultimately going to give them the gospel. And and even in that, I think it's First Timothy 1, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Right. And within that very chapter, Paul talks about some, some people in the church that he handed over to Satan to teach them not to blaspheme. Yeah. And <laughs> that, to him, the aim of his charge was love. Well, I, I, had, I would have to imagine that didn't feel 
very, very winsome. Right. And this brings <laughs> a, another topic. Once you go down that route, church discipline is just out oh, yeah. right. as an option yeah. for yeah. the church. But that is one of the necessary graces that the Lord has given to keep the body healthy. Yeah. And this this definition of love can just the whole run yeah. rampant through all kinds of things. Is that I, you know, to this, I'm a teacher talking to my high school students and to say like, God, you know, loves you. And they would say, just the way I am. And then, and I would, and I respond and say, but not enough to leave you there. Mm -hmm. And the bewilderment, um, you know, I teach at a, at a Christian school is on many a face to mm. be like, wait, no, either you accept me entirely the mm -hmm. way I am and have no agenda for some other direction to go, yep. mm -hmm. or you're just wanting to change me. And, and that, that, that separation pastorally, counseling, mm -hmm. to say like, either I can choose between being known or being loved. Mm. Yeah. And that that then was like the this sort of gospel-centered thing said, okay, well, let's go with love. Mm -hmm. I see one major issue within this whole toxic winsome tumor idea. One major issue is uh, taking one tone or one voice that we see in Scripture, uh, like Jesus's tender moments, mm -hmm. yeah. and then up, and then stretching that out to that's how all Christians should act all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. Instead of taking all of Scripture... Yeah. And saying, okay, well, there's times where uh, the prophets are saying you're like a whore, but you're worse than a whore because you don't take any money for what you're doing. You know, yeah. there's times where, Ezekiel. Yeah. where Jesus is making fun of people's clothes and saying that you know you cause these little ones to stumble, and it's better for you to go drown in a river. Yeah. You know, what I, mean? I thought to myself, I remember having this moment where I was like, if I said that, you know, if there's you know some, there was like a pride parade and some some twerking in front of little kids, and I said, hey, it would be better for you to go drown in a river than to do what you're doing. Yeah. Someone would look at me, a Christian, would come up and say, that's not Christ-like. Yeah. When, when that's, that's the words of Christ. That's <laughs> right. a direct quote. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That, but that's exactly, it, yeah. it's this inability to take all of Scripture and say, right. because it's offensive, because it's, you know, it's not loving, but we've let, like, what, like we're talking about, we've yeah. let the world have the power of addiction. Yeah. yeah, that one yeah. definition just running over, like, you have little kids, they have just... You know, you give your kid uh, a black sharpie and say, "Color in this picture." There are parts that need to be colored in black, but you—I'm sure they're on your fridge or something. Of just yeah. how many that are like the one color that just did it all. Yeah. Of like, that's not how you actually draw. So I, the question we've got to ask in the winsome conversation is: I think one of the big questions is: is who defines the words? You know, like the idea is: yes, we want to be loving and. People in our camp now are they're accused of you're not being loving, mm -hmm. and then we the, the classic by what standard? Right. What are you talking about? Yeah. Because you're defining love. We've conflated love and acceptance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's what it is. The conflation of love with acceptance. Whenever that's that's not what love is. No. Mm -hmm. You know. But if we concede the dictionary. Yeah. And and the definition writers yeah. to the world. Yeah. Then we're lost. Yeah. And well, we've got it. That's the sufficiency of scripture for all of faith and life. Well, and it's gone so far that even people without scripture are like, there are men and there are women. Like, like right. that you can't yeah, overwrite right. that one. Like it's yeah. gotten so insane that yeah. we're overriding basic fundamental things like yeah. pronouns. Right. And and that's the giving up one inch at a time. Yeah. That's where it leads. A long time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 Romans one, there of just after a while, you just are absolutely without a clue. That's mm -hmm. exactly and and uh, yeah. even to cap this off, because I We'll get into in, in further podcast episodes a little bit of more of the solutions. That's kind of where this is all heading. We're starting with the systemic problems. We'll get to the solutions. But the what I've kind of juxtaposed this toxic winsomeness to the solution being uh, cultural reformation. So 
if you're aiming at being winsome to winsome, if you're aiming at just how can I sand off the rough edges, it's all evangelistic, it's all about getting people saved, getting people mm-hmm. in the door, rather than it's all about applying all of Scripture to all of faith and life and teaching the nations to obey the commands of Christ, right? Yeah. Um, so it, instead of aiming at just getting a few people saved, if, I, if that's my goal, I'd need to be winsome. I need to do whatever it takes to get them in the door. But if we're not aiming at that, but rather we're aiming at a holistic dominion mandate that says we're actually aiming to make disciples of all nations. And for to, that means righteous culture is being established mm-hmm. through the proclamation yeah. of every bit of God's word. And even right there, you had like the idea of like one-on-one conversation, evangelism, yeah. and cultural mandates, that those are actually different things. Right. Like that's yeah. just lost on right. like so many times in my education they were conflated together and mm-hmm. to say like, if you're going to be winsome mm-hmm. to your gay neighbor, mm-hmm. you're not going to oppose gay marriage right. as a law. Right. And like that just absolutely that, it, it's, a right. yeah, exactly. it's a category error. Right, it's a category error that many people are tripped up on where it is possible to to love somebody that you adamantly disagree with yes. and then speak back and towards the culture going over a cliff at 100 miles per hour there. Right. Um, and that's those are diff- categorically different things, right. but yeah. since we, analyze things, the merits of them, on, on how they made it, make us feel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have trouble with... And I had to learn that from Ben Shapiro because I didn't <laughs> learn it in my seminary yeah. education. Like, it yeah. was such a gap. Yeah. I'll tell you, when I woke up to this one, it was such an uh-oh moment because mm-hmm. I had... Honestly, I had styled my entire personality mm-hmm. around being yeah. a winsome Christian. Yeah. Like, I... People like you. ...prided <laughs> myself in being one of the good ones. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, right. Um, and and so whenever I woke up to this, I remember I heard uh, Jeff Durbin gave a great talk on uh, just the sharp edges yeah. throughout Scripture. Yeah. yeah. And then I then Doug Wilson had one called "Winsome Tartness" and how Jesus picked fights. <laughs> and then I heard Toby give one. I remember just I was just in this trying to figure <clears throat> this out. Right. And I was I was consuming this this stuff and the, but not I say consuming these talks and these sermons but really because they were pointing to scripture. Yeah. And I yeah. was like, "Oh my gosh, I it wasn't I wasn't the, the the sufficiency of scripture for all of faith and life was just lost on me." Right. You know, I would have defended it in a debate, but I could mm-hmm. I was not applying it. But like how many people have actually read the whole Bible? Yeah, that's, like like that's the, all those things. Problem. Like most of these like, texts that you're talking about yeah. here, you've brought up are in the prophets. Yeah, when mm-hmm. God is rebuking Israel, mm-hmm. right. and like how many of us, you know, don't hear sermons going through those books of the Bible, mm-hmm. don't yeah. read those, don't and, know. And those. if you did, you're, you're hearing it through a, a, a faulty gospel center hermeneutic, mm-hmm. yeah. where where you're not actually being thought. How do we think carefully and critically about how Christ was like this over here, yeah. but he's like this over here? Why why might that be? What situation requires what response? Right. Um, a yeah. valid answer to the question, WWJD, what would yeah. Jesus yeah. do is make a whip and flip tables. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like, right. yeah. Premeditated that's, violence. Yeah, yeah. that's that's not, a possible not, answer. Not winsome, not Christ-like. Yeah. Man, yeah. so that for me, that uh-oh moment, I, it was it was one of the biggest rubs, <clears throat> one of the biggest, uh, um, one of the most difficult moments in the journey for me because it was really taking my entire like identity, the way I'd yeah. styled myself as a Christian, mm. uh, and saying like, Repent. Repent. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I had to repent of yeah. of, of claiming to be nicer than God. Yeah. To be ni- yeah. and that's why I did a tweet the other day. We said it's a sin to be nicer than Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, or it not, not it's a sin to be nicer, but it's a sin to claim yeah. that right. you must well, be nicer than in Jesus. In Lewis's words, to try to be holier than God. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I, go ahead. No, I, I had to I had to repent of that. And that was 
that was pretty painful because it's been my like my entire Christian mm-hmm. walk where I just there there was a pride in that. Yeah. And so it was super humbling to have to say, oh my gosh, I'm actually. Oh, the, the the quote that got me was Toby Sumter saying uh, that he, he read the the <laughs> Jesus's words um, to love your enemies. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but evangelicals have made that verse out to mean have no enemies. Uh, you can't love enemies if you don't have any. Mm-hmm. Do you live a life? Do you proclaim a truth that is opposed offensive. by some? Uh, yeah. Offensive, divisive. Yeah. Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. Do, or are you so winsome that everyone loves you? Mm-hmm. That everyone thinks you're great. Everyone thinks you're something. Right. You know? yeah. um, and I realized, like, oh, I have no enemies. Yeah. Like, I have no enemies to love. Yeah, right. uh, it's time to go make some enemies. <laughs> no, no, I mean honestly, like yeah. Yeah. to speak the truth in such right. a way is to make enemies. So, well, for for me, I mean, it, it was, I don't know, maybe maybe seven or eight years ago, but I, I remember reading something and it, it talked about how there's so many pastors who will check the box of inerrancy and then spend half their time apologizing for what it says. Read, uh, right. yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, I, I would never have oh. apologized, but my posture sure did. That's right, right, and Same. and um, Same. that woe to me. If I'm going to get mm-hmm. behind a pulpit with a Bible open and then sheepishly and constantly carefully and ooh, yep. trying the hardest to not to offend the most easily person who's looking to be offended in the room, yeah. it's like you, you're the teacher of Israel. Right. Like, like, woe to you. And what it, power to get And it really you. was a moment for me. It was a moment of repentance and said, I, I will never do that again. Man. That doesn't mean I, I, won't, I won't do this perfectly, but sure. I, I'm not going to do that anymore. And, uh, Man, yeah. it, it ends up with perpetual... Milkmaids in the pulpits. Right. No one, no one bringing the meat. Right. Um, and and, and <laughs> malnourished sheep who are desperate for desperate. the word of God, who who really yeah. want it. So. Yeah, definitely. yeah, <clears throat> yeah. So that um, I had one more thing, but I just totally lost it. So we'll just move on. Um, <laughs> so good. the last tumor, cultural Marxism. Mm-hmm. That's a hot topic. You know, uh, yeah, and and that's probably the one when we we're with the X-ray analogy that really started to leap off the page. Yeah, in, in yeah. 2020. You know, BLM starting before COVID. Mm-hmm. Even, yeah, right, right. Um, yes, exactly. So, how would we define cultural Marxism? So, th- this idea that like your identity is found in the groups that you belong to, mm-hmm. that you are a cisgendered. Uh, African-American female, that th- those lists of the groups that you belong to mm. are, defi- you know, that those are the defining characteristics mm-hmm. of who you are. Yeah. And then the intersection of those different Venn diagrams lets you figure out where you stack up in the oppression Olympics. Right. Of, like, how oppressed are you? Mm-hmm. And therefore, what kind of truth you can speak. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, it really is a, a, a rubric for understanding who you are, and relevant for what we're talking about, then what is the gospel? Right. Even says like how who do you minister? Who are you being uh, winsome towards, and who needs that winsomeness? Because yeah. like ultimately, you can't be winsome to everybody. Right. And so the the criteria is decided by this alternative philosophy. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and I I would say I mean just piggybacking on that, it it jettisons the doctrine of original sin mm-hmm. that all people are sinners by nature all the way down. And then it puts the substructure of intersectionality in its place. Yeah. Yeah. Where this is actually the fun, not everybody has the fundamental starting point of sinner in need of the grace of God. Yeah. It's either oppressor or oppressed, it's it's victim, that these are the fundamental 
statuses of humanity that, that, that people and they would they would nuance with. it and say like over here you're an oppressor over here you're oppressed and then in this category where you're mm-hmm. a white woman then you know the whiteness you're an oppressor and the female you're oppressed and right that that but that that is exhaustive right of mm-hmm. all the power power hierarchies that you're in and therefore what is the truth and which way yeah. to go and to me i already even you know as 2020 2019 even 2018 i had people who i went to seminary with Mm-hmm. who um, you would know their names if I said them, of that they had were quickly leaving the faith yeah. as they were being made to choose, do I sympathize with these oppressed people or am I willing to identify as part of the Church of Christ, yeah. God's church, that they then chose based off of this being the way you understand mm. what people are. Right. They chose BLM over the gospel. So, okay, so I'm going to be the voice of pushback and you guys push back on me. So what's what would be wrong with aiming at diversity? Because this is one of the fruits of it, right? Is I remember like as a church planter, we need more black people mm-hmm. in our church. We've got to find them. We got to convince them to be a part of our church mm-hmm. so that we can be legitimized, so that we can so that we can really be ministering to the black community or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. minority group. So what could be wrong with aiming at diversity in your churches to say like we need diversity in our churches why why would that be problematic because that seems to be that's one of the symptoms of this cultural marxism sneaking yeah. in so why would that be problematic well Vody has a great response to this uh is that he's talking about how many white churches drive past umpteen white trailer parks mm. with people uh, full of people who are poor white people just so that they can go 40 miles out of their way to the inner city to try to minister Mm -hmm. to poor black people over Mm -hmm. there, or even not so poor black people over there, is that you're seeing everyone by their race, Mm -hmm. by their gender. It's it's racist. Yes. Yeah, that would be the number one problem with it. And and truly, and right now a thousand people that will set their hair on fire, it is racist. Yes. It is categorizing somebody based on their race. Mm -hmm. And so if a white person or Hispanic or whoever shows up that isn't the target market, Mm. well, they are... Uh, yeah, you can come in, but it's not really what we're we were aiming for a different race yeah. to to show up, and that can that can manifest every di- you can go wrong. Uh, there's many ditches there, but um, yeah, that's I think that's that's key. You know, the, the most offensive thing almost you can say on this topic right now seems to be that white people are actually the only people institutionally that are you're allowed to be racist against culturally and even I mean with. Uh, what, with college hiring admission, uh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. what's it called? Um, college acceptance? No, it's it's that word. Uh, affirmative action. Affirmative action. Yeah. <laughs> with affirmative it. action, that's that's uh, that's institutionalized racism. Yeah, right. You know, and it, but and white people are the only people who you're actually allowed to be racist against. Mm-hmm. And there's this kind of white guilt. There's this white self-loathing. Mm-hmm. It's that that man. I just remember seeing when the whole white privilege conversation started coming mm-hmm. up. I remember, so I, I was friendly to the idea that of social justice when it first came, started yeah. getting all the buzz. I remember being like, yeah, that, that makes sense that you as a minority have had a different experience than me, mm-hmm. right? You have gone through difficulties that I haven't gone through. I, I remember thinking like, I, di- I didn't even think white people had a culture that's just like the air, the air we breathe, you know, and that kind of thing. And so they're aware of their culture in a way. And I remember thinking like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, there's, there's some validity to this. There's some, yeah, I I want you to feel cared for. You have been called names because of the color of your skin. Mm -hmm. And I've never experienced anything like that. So at the beginning I was really drawn in by those, 
uh, really empathy. I wanted to empathize mm-hmm. with you and sympathize yeah. with you. Um, but then that, like anything, it takes like a, a, some kernels of truth. Mm-hmm. And then, well, we get into what, what's called cultural Marxism. It's called cultural Marxism because it's the grandson of Marxism, which comes from Mr. Karl Marx, a raging atheist who hates God. And his worldview is going is completely shaped and fraught with God, with atheism. Yeah. Like it's, so uh, Marxism is inherently at odds with a biblical worldview. And right. then there's this whole move in the evangelical. And it, and it failed. And it failed. Like everybody saw yeah, that's right. like how badly yeah. that didn't work. So then yeah. they changed it from being proletariat versus the factory owners. The bourgeoisie. To, to yeah. All that thing is like, well, let's just rename the, cat. Right. let's go with categories that are a hot button. Yeah. And like your part then about saying like, we need to recognize other people from different cultures have a different experience than me. There's zero wrong with that. That's great. It, it was a Trojan horse, though, that's exactly to right. then say that's, you that's need exactly to right. you need to like change how you preach, what you say, how right. your church is working. So right. many different things that it was a Trojan horse to alter. Right. And and since some people, by definition, regardless of what they've done or or just based on skin color or or situation, since they're by definition victims, you can't call them to repent yeah, for right. specific sins. Yeah. Because you're you're then victim shaming. Right. Um, and on the other side, if you are by definition the the oppressor, um, you have no atonement um, because we've shoved God off the ju- judgment seat mm. and we've taken the the seat there and we haven't given clarity on, well, then how do I um, atone for all the sins of the world before me? Mm. <laughs> it's like, you can't. Only, only Christ can. And so it is absolutely an anti-gospel, which is a satanic tactic to undermine the gospel. And it was very much a gradient within mm. the gospel movement gospel-centered movement, is that in the beginning, there would have just been a sort of sympathy to these things. Yeah. But then by 2020, I think it was, is that before Tim Keller died, he was went on Norwegian TV, and they were saying, like, you know, somebody who just immigrated to America in 2020 from Norway, are they guilty of benefiting from white, you know, slavery of other people, and that they need to repent of the their systemic racism who just came? And he said yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Is that like that kind of like using these categories to define <laughs> repentance? Right, mm. and and when we go to the scriptures, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think Colossians three is probably the most apropos text to this, where where Paul says, "Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but in Christ, but but Christ is all and in all." And so if if you take one of those dichotomies, that's explosive in a congregation. Yeah. Talking yeah. about oppressor or oppressed, he takes four <laughs> and throws them into the same congregation. Four, four um, dichotomies, and he says, "This it's not that you get rid of your heritage mm-hmm. or your cultural identity, but we don't um, systematically categorize people now based on who they are there." Yeah. Right. And of course, when you get people with different backgrounds and different offenses together, there's going to be sparks, there's going to be offenses, there's going to be complaints. And so that's why he goes on to say, bear with one another. (laughs) And if one has a complaint against another. um, So not just generally out there, you've offended somebody from 300 years ago. If you have offended your your brother who looks different from you, go to him, go to that person that you have offended and you've wronged and sinned against, and then forgive one another Mm. as brothers in Christ. Um, and so that that's what was so bizarre about this whole thing is there really was no atonement yeah. other than to say sorry a lot for being white. Right. And it's like, but God made, cho- God chose every person in their race. Why, are we now willing to say 
if two white people procreate, then ontologically there is something inferior or, or God made a mistake there not because like that that is not the Christian worldview at all. It's just the, the opposite of the, the biblical doctrines of union with Christ and adoption mm-hmm. and redemption is to say that you are before you are black, before you are white, before you are male yeah. and female, is that you are in Christ, right. and mm. that we have the most glorious future in yeah. common, and that versus, you know, Marx with the, he had an eschatology. Mm-hmm. He had a proletariat uprising that the communist revolution of 1919 thought that they were making, they were ushering in the eschaton, mm. and that this is what people are doing today. Why do they have, you know, these riots and things mm. is that they are ushering in that future that they want to see this being worked out in a right. particular way and it's not revelation 21 and 22 <laughs> it's it's a different eschatology it's a full-on alternative mm. religion mm-hmm. that they are following yeah and i i remember 2020 when this is all happening right uh we've got covid as the pressure cooker and churches are trying to figure out and honestly that's the one thing we left off that's that's the other really big yeah, yeah. thing that uh, was a lot of people's Reformation COVID. red pill. I know that was... That well, because was that is the x-ray here. Is yeah, that, it's that, revealing everything. Yeah, that's right. COVID is, is really kind of the, the pressure-cooking <laughs> x-ray yeah. um, that kind of brought everything to the surface. But, yeah. I, I mean, planting a church, launching March 1st, 2020, we have <laughs> COVID happens, and then George Floyd happens just m- a month later. Um, mm-hmm. And we're trying to figure out in real time what do we do? What does this look like? And then I'm seeing, you know, uh, Matt Chandler give a talk on white privilege, and then all these leaders in the gospel-centered movement starting to talk about their diversity quotas that they're mm-hmm. hitting. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is wrong. I couldn't put my my finger just exactly on why, but I knew it wasn't right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Bodie's like, that's all right. I put my finger. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. I read <laughs> yes. fault lines. Yeah, really. and I was and, like, and even his talk on cultural Marxism. Oh yeah, if, that if was you huge. haven't seen it, yeah, that's so a helpful. good one. That was that was huge. Um, and so. I think that's going to be a lot of people. They woke up to find that their pastors were calling them to go to Black Lives Matter rallies. Mm-hmm. or you know, And th- here's the thing about it, is that there were these leaders, these Christian leaders, who I really looked up to, the Greers and the Chandlers and all, all these, and the David Platt and all these guys. Um, they're not going to become progressive Christians. But when they started talking, when, it, when they let that, that cancer begin of cultural Marxism, mm-hmm. whenever that, that crept into their preaching, uh, they there's no telling how many thousands of people that set them on the journey yeah. towards becoming progressive Christians. Right. I, I believe that most... Because the cultural pressure is so heavy towards it. Right. And, so, and so if your spiritual them. leader is telling you that, yes. then yes. you're in the tsunami now. Right, yes. so what I think is going to happen is, if, for, if I don't know who all has repented and who hasn't, I think there, are, there needs to be public repentance if if there was if you promoted this, I mean, there's no telling how many people you led astray. Yeah. Um, and I think to that make shipwreck of their soul of, of their soul. And I think un- unless there's co- there's actual repentance that says I had this wrong and it was really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I can't trust those. I, I it, it hurts me, but I cannot. I can't trust. I won't point anyone and those t- t- towards those resources anymore because I can't trust you. Because when the next thing happens. How do I know? I don't know what you're gonna do. Right. If you can't repent now, um, and it was so painful because all these guys like discipled me from afar for mm-hmm. so, for so long. Yeah. Um, and they're like I said, they're not gonna become progressive Christians. But how many thousands of people got put on that journey um, because this 
this cancer got in. I mean, and that's the way heresy has always been, is yeah. that people go and they're like, okay, so the, the Arianism or Nestorianism, yeah. whatever heresy you want to do, is like, did that guy actually go to hell for having the full-fledged version right, of that heresy? Right. Probably not. That's but his point. followers, that yes. whoever, you know, you go fully into that and then you're steeped in that, mm. then you are believing damnable heresy That's exactly at that right. point. So it really is Serious. even more dangerous for their yeah. followers than for them. Yeah, absolutely. And so I, I I, do pray that that happens. That would be so good for the church um, to see anyone. I mean, I, I've been, even on Twitter, been publicly repenting because I was a pastor trying to figure it all out. And I was, re and I realized after the fact, oh, I had some pretty big things wrong. Mm -hmm. And I had a small congregation, but I led them astray. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. You know, and it was, I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared. I didn't know what time it mm -hmm. was. And I, but I stepped up as a leader, and but I and I and I led people in the wrong direction. So I've, I've been trying to repent of that, and I think, man, that would be so. I pray for that because I think a lot of these guys, I think that many of them have woken up, woken up. Uh. Many of them are awake now. They've woken up to mm -hmm. their folly, but I haven't seen a, a public acknowledgement of it. Mm -hmm. And I honestly, I really do pray for that. That would be so healing and, and helpful for the church. Um, but for a lot of our viewers, that 2020, they saw this. They saw their pastor saying, go march with Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. but wear the mask. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, that subservience to say, like, they're, that to, to have such a confusion about what is the gospel. And it's just the combination of all of these tumors together now. We're getting into a little bit harder to pinpoint. But when somebody says, your church can't sing, your church can't meet, yeah. that you, you, you can't come together here and that the, the, the statism, I guess yes. if I had to pick a name for it, is is just this misprioritization of like who gets to set the agenda. Mm. Is that is this Christ church or somebody else's? And that how many of our leaders we saw fold on exactly that point is that this ultimately, like we're saying here with like, where do you get your definitions from? Yep. Where do you get your identity from? And and, and that is a, a byproduct of the winsomeness as well, right? Right. Because that would have taken uh, real courage to say, mm, I, I'm, I'm not going to toe that line. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to repeat those phrases when there was such intense pressure, um, lest you be seen as um, a, a white privileged bigot if, yeah. if, mm. if you don't do do the thing. And um, yeah, and so if you've been leaking courage for a long time, that's going to be really hard. And I, th I think there are quite a few people who are going to see this, watch this, listen to this, and, both, and that, both people. that they, <laughs> that <laughs> they have both. not thought through all of these different issues. I think some of the things we've said are going to be a wake-up call that they haven't seen yet mm -hmm. because all that they said was, I would like to have a church that still meets in person. Mm -hmm. yeah. I don't want virtual communion. Yeah. Right. And so like, there, are, I know that there are churches all over the country that are just exploding with you know huge numbers of new members yeah. who simply said, I wanted somewhere where the door wasn't closed in yeah. 2022 mm -hmm. still mm -hmm. for, for COVID you know, kind of well, that's silliness. What, honestly, that's why I'm sitting here. <laughs> yeah. It is because, and we talked about this last week. Uh, I, when I went to visit the, I took that Reformation red pill. I was, I, I, I saw all of this sickness, and then I saw over here there is a contingent of men who are holding the line yeah. on each of these issues, like in a big way. Yeah. And I was like, give me some of that. Even writing memorials on them, like yeah, that's exactly say, this right. is our stance mm -hmm. and yeah, have been. Things. The, the lone prophets in the night for years warning that it's yeah. coming. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I remember going to visit a CREC presbytery 
and uh, trying to figure all this out. And they were all giving their reports of the churches during this craziness with COVID and Black yeah. Lives Matter. And they were saying, well, how many, how many, did you, did, how many members did you guys gain on the COVID bump? Yeah. And I was like, the what? No, COVID bumps a thing. <laughs> yes. The what? It definitely is. And it was like, for the CRE, for all the people in my non-denominational denomination, it was not a COVID bump. Yeah. It was COVID bleeding out, you know? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. for the CREC, it was this COVID bump. Why? It's because they were ready with what we are calling dark rose reformed. Yeah. All right? To tie it all up. Full-bodied. And, yeah, and so let me sum it all up with uh, what I think the, the real problem and you guys can add to this, but is the gospel-centered movement was rooted in the gospel, but not the full Bible. And because of that, because it was more rooted in just the soteriological aspect and not the entire counsel of God's Word, it was able to be blown to and fro by winds of doctrine, Ephesians 4.14, right? Uh, and, and so the, the solution, I think, is 2 Timothy 3.16. I think the sufficiency of Scripture for all of faith and life, not just my own pietistic quiet time, right? Not just, you know, not just the four walls of a church building, but all of faith and all of life. That is the, that, that's what I woke up to, yeah. you know, in, uh, and what really, what I looked and saw these guys, oh, they were prepared for all of this because they had biblical, a biblical theological response ready. And mm-hmm. that was because they were rooted in a historic, reformed, orthodox Theology. Yeah, and I, I think you see it really expressed in, in the competing banners over the movement. So you have, it's all about Jesus mm-hmm. yeah. compared to all of Christ for all of life. That's and, perfect. And, and all, it's all about Jesus is, is primarily speaking about the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. It's more of an, an, mm-hmm. a, an evangelistic, this is where salvation is to be found, yes and amen. Mm-hmm. But now what, once you are saved, well, it's all of Christ for all of life, and that means every word in the Bible. Because mm. Jesus wrote the Bible, it's it's all of Christ pushed into the corners of everything. And how we understand politics, how we understand social justice, is that word justice? It's a biblical word, but is it being biblically defined? Mm. That takes careful, nuanced study. Um, all of Christ, everything Christ said for for all of life. Mm. And those those, it, it's so weird to me that it was called you know it had reformed so many times, young, restless, and reformed, and that. Reformed was never this like individualistic kind of thing. It was always about sola scriptura, sola Christus, sola fide, uh, you know, solo Deo Gloria. That these these ideas that like the sufficiency of Scripture that you mentioned here mm-hmm. is that this is the one rule of rules for for all of life, the norming norm that cannot be normed, and yet it wasn't. Yeah. It was it was not that we turn to the Scriptures and find in there God speaking about all of life, yeah. it was letting in these other voices about winsomeness mm. or Marxism and mm-hmm. these different kinds of other people setting the agenda mm. that were just taken in from the world and just mm-hmm. automatically... We just handed the prophetic mic over yeah. Yeah. and said, now That's you good. speak for a while right. and we'll listen to you, world, on how we think through these things. And they, they came together in a good way, but that what they saw as the overlap of all the Venn diagrams, the one part in the center mm. was... the pietistic, individualistic, interior things that we've been talking about, and not Christ and his word. Right, right. That, that, was, not, that was not always played out as that this speaks to everything. Mm. The Bible is authoritative on what it speaks on, and it speaks to everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and we, we, I think another way to say this is, of course the gospel is at the center of everything, but it's the, the full gospel, which is Jesus is king. Yeah. Right? 
Um, so right. that that is what the gospel is in its most fundamental. It's the, mm. the proclamation from heaven that the king has returned. Right. Jesus is king. How do you do I get into his kingdom? Um, believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. His life, yeah. his death, his resurrection. And now that you're a citizen, he is king over every part of your life and his word. Salvation you. is for something. You're yeah. not just, you know, how many people get saved and then look around and go, now what? Now what? Is that as opposed to saying, like, he saved you to join up with team jesus to yeah. retake the universe and bring the life of heaven now to earth that's yeah. right it. yeah. and so we're and it's it's interesting the way you put it it's like we're actually now advocating for gospel centrality absolutely whereas before i think what we've just described is i heard joel webbin call it gospel myopic mm -hmm. right it was just it was this hyper focus on only the gospel mm -hmm. but if it's the center then it works its way out into the edges yeah. of everything yeah Everywhere. and that's what we want yeah so with that we're gonna for the the next for this whole season of the podcast, we're going to be outlining. So we've just, we gave the problem. Yeah. We gave the. This those, was the bad news. The bad news, the tumors. But there is some very, very good news on the way. We're yeah. going to cover some really fun. Uh, basically, we're, we're mapping out our Reformation roadmap, yeah. as it were. And uh, so we're going to cover in the next few episodes, post-millennialism. We're going to cover tone. Uh, how do we. We talked a little bit about it today. What's mm -hmm. the solution to the toxic winsome? Mm -hmm. So we're yeah. going to get into mm -hmm. that. Flip side of that. Um, baptism, sphere sovereignty, the kingdom and the church. We're going to get into cessationism. So coming up, we're going to cover these doctrines uh, in, uh, quite thoroughly. So we'll end with that, yeah. and we'll end with my charge to both of our viewers. Um, <laughs> you know you're special. Yeah. Um, we... Uh, we're starting this company to provide Reformation resources for you guys. And so my charge for you is that you will build, defend, and expand the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. With that, see you on the next episode.